Hey everybody, welcome back to Hot Mess Healing, a podcast. I'm your host, Finn, and today's episode will be about grief. Now, the definition of grief means deep sorrow, and sorrow means deep distress. And when we automatically think of grief, we see it as the feelings after we lose someone. You know, after that, someone close to us has passed away. Now, what if I told you that you didn't need to have someone close to you pass away in order to feel that grief, in order to grieve something in your life? Because it can be felt in everyday life, whether it be the chronic illness, disability, the loss of how things used to be and how you used to be as a person. Today, we'll discuss seven types of grief. Those seven types are complicated, chronic, delayed, distorted, masked, inhibited, and collective. Now, we could say that all of those types can fit under one, complicated grief. Now, referring to complicated grief, it's reactions and feelings of loss that can last lifelong. It could be debilitating. It could impair your ability to engage in you know, any daily activities that you do, and it hurts. Grief hurts. But it's also an important part of healing. Because in order for us to move forward with our lives, we have to feel that grief. We have to. But when it comes to things like chronic grief, it's hard to see it as that healing. It's hard to see chronic grief as healing. And I go through that myself because as someone who is disabled with a number of disabilities, I can honestly say that I'm still grieving. I'm still grieving. The life that I used to have before all of this started. Like, I don't know what to say about it except for I am still grieving who I used to be. The person before the disabilities. You know, I used to run. I used to you know, exercise in the gym. Now, I'm not saying that disabled people can't do those things. I'm just saying for me, I really can't. And I grieve that. I grieve being able to go out multiple days a week for hours on end going to whether it be like Barnes and Noble to go sit, to go shopping, You know, without having to take breaks, I used to run up and down the town. And now I'm home, you know, four or five out of the seven days in a week. Because my body can't handle it. You know? And I know there are a lot of us out there a lot of you out there that can relate to what I'm saying here. Like we grief how our bodies used to be. <clears throat> and how they used to make us feel. Because believe it or not, your body can your body makes you feel things. Obviously. <laughs> but you know, I used to feel so good in my body. I used to feel confident about it. And I am grieving how my body even used to look along with maybe a little bit of body dysmorphia 
some dysphoria as well, which is related to me being um, non-binary and trans. But I grieve how my body used to look, how my body used to feel, and how it used to operate. And I just feel like it's important for us to be open and honest with each other about about the grieving process that we go through as not only disabled individuals or, you know, marginalized people or any of that, but just how we grieve as human beings. You can grieve that relation, grieve how you used to be in a relationship with someone. You'd be like, I miss how we used to be. Like, you miss how you used to be with someone and they are no longer in your life or you are grieving because there is a part missing in a current relationship. Like, these things happen. We grieve every single day. And I know it's not really common for people to understand that and to believe that grief is the feel is a feeling related to the loss of someone that person can still be very much alive and living for you to grieve them because you can grieve how they used to be how they used to act and there is nothing wrong with that it is perfectly normal now I'm going to be discussing distorted grief and how I experienced it in my life. This segment is a heavy trigger warning for mention of child sexual assault. Now, when we talk about distorted grief, we are talking about extreme intense reactions to a loss, odd changes in behavior and self-destructive actions. Now, I am no stranger to distorted grief at all because at the age of 14, I lost something very great um, to me And that was my childhood innocence. That was ripped and taken from me. Um, Because I was sexually assaulted, um, really raped, um, by my stepfather. And I engaged in behaviors such as self-harm, and that self-harm was um, cutting. Because after that, I felt gross. I felt disgusted. I, I felt broken and torn and gone through the ringer. And I didn't know this until I started doing therapy that I was grieving that little girl. I was grieving for her. She was gone. And I didn't even know it. And I guess you could also say this also goes into complicated grief because I... Even though I was also doing self-destructive behaviors, it took me a minute to realize what had actually happened to me and to actually believe that it wasn't my fault. And that plays into delayed grief, which falls under the umbrella of complicated. And that little girl, I'm still grieving for her today. Y'all, still today, because she lost her innocence even younger than that, dealing with sexual assault from young boys who were either my age or a little bit older. 
in school, in other people's homes. And it just, I'm not saying that that happened for a reason because I don't believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe some things happen for a reason and that some people are just evil and bad things happen. Okay. I engaged in those self-destructive behaviors because I didn't know who I was. I did not have a sense of self. I did not know anything about myself at all. Um, And I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to grieve. That was the issue. Along with a number of other things, obviously the issue is that it happened to me, but the grieving process, the issue was I didn't know how to grieve. So I did what I saw others do. Self-harm, be self-destructive, you know, have your anger towards somebody else, towards property. I was an angry child. I was angry. I was hostile. I just... And I remember taking that grief that distorted grief and putting it towards my sister at one point in time. I ended up choking her just because she did something simple. She did what sisters do, you know? And, you know, I've apologized since then. This is all when I was a teenager, not an adult. You know, I've apologized since then. I've done some more healing. You know, I've done therapy and everything like that, but I still grieve that little girl. And it is no longer distorted in self-destructive behaviors, but what even classifies as self-destructive behaviors now that I think about it, you know, I overindulge in sweets. I mean, I do have a sugar addiction. Is that self-destructive behavior as well? You know, what do we classify other than, you know, physically harming ourselves? What do we really classify as self-destructive behaviors? Other than the the obvious ones, alcohol, drugs, self-harm, you know, things like that. Um... But what is it really like? Is it really having a, taking one's addiction and transferring it? Because I was addicted to doing, I was addicted to hurting myself. So it's like taking that addiction and transferring it to something else, i.e. sweets, sugar. You know, that's really something to think about. Like, what is it that you think that you overindulge in, like, is that a self-destructive behavior or is it just, you know, just really not the best way of coping through this thing we call life? If that makes any sense to you, you know? Hi, and welcome back to Hot Mess Healing, everyone. I have a special guest with me. Their name is EJ. They are a strong advocate for the disability community and other marginalized communities. They also are very strong with their activism on Instagram at Pained and Confused. Did I have that right? Yes, Pained and Confused. All right. And we are here to talk about masks, inhibited, and collective grief. If you want to do maybe a little introduction on yourself um, and who you are, that'd be great. Hi, thank you for having me, Finn. My name is Elena, a.k.a. EJ. 
I have been chronically ill, disabled, and mentally ill since I was a child. So that's fun. Um, I recently started talking about what I was going through um, with having a tethered spinal cord and spina bifida probably about four years ago. And then within the last three years, because of the pandemic, my advocacy and activism has really ramped up. And on Pain and Confuse, we collectively talk about our feelings. Um, we like to express them and not move away from them. And we recognize that vulnerability is our superpower. And I always say that I don't have good or bad days. I just have okay days with sprinkles of good and bad. And I just try to take it all on. And so I'm really excited to talk about these things because I think um, we have to go through grief before we even like it can accept what's going on. That was lovely. Lovely introduction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I want to get to a little bit about maxed grief, which is grief reactions that impair normal functioning. And however, the individual is unable to recognize these symptoms and behaviors. And they're often masked as either physical symptoms or other maladaptive behaviors. Now, if you want to go into a little bit about your experience with mass grief, mm -hmm. uh, that would be lovely. Okay. Go ahead. So I think what comes to mind is when you say masking is I think, one, when we're neurodivergent, we mask as neurotypical to like fit into society and our peer groups. But I also think that in the chronically ill community and chronic pain community, we're really good at faking being well. And I think you can do that for so long that you the internalized ableism kicks in and, um, you know, you don't really know like how to really even be your authentic self until you accept your grief and show your grief and, and be vulnerable in it. And uh, to go through the motions with being chronically ill and being disabled and if you're mentally ill. Um, there's so many different nuances and facets and layers. And I just don't think that society gives us the space to feel and to grieve uh, because we would have to take time. And capitalism like doesn't allow you to take time for yourself. It doesn't allow you to care for yourself because when you do, like, you know that it's all a scam. <laughs> and right. so I think like, Within the past four years, I found out what being disabled meant and, you know, what internalized ableism was and what ableism was. And I went through a lot of grief with that. Like, can I cuss? Yes. Open. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit. What the fuck? I wish I knew I was disabled when I was a child because maybe I would have had more of a community growing up because, like, I would try to get into before there was Instagram there's like online forums and I would join the chronically ill forums and I had so much internalized ableism. I did not fit in with the group at all. I thought everybody was just complaining too much and not, you know, just pushing through it, which is what I was used to. Uh, my parents taught me to fake it until I made it. And I think faking it is masking and, you know, I never made it. Right. I was even even more of a hole. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what was going on. My therapist told me that, like, I didn't know what, like, emotions were. And I didn't know what it was like having goodness in my life or joy. And I just always traveled these, like, chaotic, complicated terrains where I was just surviving trauma. And I never really, I didn't have the space. My parents didn't give me the space. Society didn't give me the space. Your schools don't give you the space to like really express what's going on and sit in it. And I was uncomfortable sitting in it and made me very, very fucking uncomfortable. And that's when I started to get into drugs and alcohol to self-medicate because I also wasn't being believed about my pain. And when you're constantly being told that you're faking it, you know, you don't know what you start to believe it, right? You start to believe the lie. Like, right. I'm not really sick. I'm not really in pain. 
I'm doing this all of myself. And then you have this like unnecessary grief that you're going through, you know, and I think there's so much of like, I wrote down, you lose friendships, you lose yourself. Uh, it's like constant healing. You feel disposable. You feel like a burden. You lose friends. So why wouldn't somebody want to mask and hide from all that? You know what I mean? Right, right. But you and I both know that when you accept and when you talk about it, like there's such a beautiful community online and there's so many different types of communities. And so, yeah, I also want to hear your experience and um, what you relate to. And because uh, I know you're neurodivergent as well. And so I'm very new in that sphere. So Thanks. When it comes, yeah, when it like, I don't even know what I do when I mask being neurodivergent. Like, I know I hide my weirdness, I hide like all the things that make me Elena, right? Right. And I usually um, say things unfiltered and I don't read the room. And so I've always, and, and I'm very sensitive and passionate, and I've always been told I'm too much. So, yeah, that's what I get from the masking. And so I'd like to I'd like to hear what you get from that. Well, see, I think I had a bit of an issue trying to realize, because it's like, you know, a definition's a definition, right? It's like right. point blank period. But it's like, definitions don't really define our experience. Mm. You know, if you really think about it. And I recently, you know, well, I'd say in the past maybe four years is what, you know, since like maybe mm -hmm. like 2018 that I realized, oh shit, I'm neurodivergent as yeah. hell. Yeah. I, um, and so all of that masking, it was very harmful for me because mm -hmm. I realized it's like, why am I so weird? Why do people not want to be my friend? Is it something that I'm doing? Like, some feelings that I can't explain, like why, like in class, when, mm -hmm. like, I remember specifically in my algebra class in high school, mm -hmm. I remember sitting there thinking, I want to get up out of this seat. I want to scream and <laughs> move around out of this desk. Why do I feel like that? Why is no one else doing it? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I always had the sense very much, like, when I was three years old, I, in a movie theater, I took off all my clothes and I stripped down naked down the, <laughs> the aisle, and I probably should have knew that I was neurodivergent then, but I was only three. Right. But yeah, I, I think I really relate to that because in school, I felt very confined, and they don't give you like the learning that you need, especially when you're neurodivergent unless, and when they put you in gifted classes, it just fucks you up even more. It does. Cause I've been in some gifted classes myself where I, I felt the class. I yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. I'm not, it's like, I'm not gifted. Like you think I am like something. I'm not saying that being neurodivergent is something wrong with, I'm just saying there was something off with me. Something didn't quite, add up you mm -hmm. say you know they say gifted I say mm, I don't know about that you know like well isn't um, everybody gifted in some way this like, is true yeah there's actually an episode on Abbott Elementary where Gregory like kind of protests against gifted classes because it says that he like isolates people and then mm -hmm when you're in the regular class, you don't get to have like all the cool fun experiences of a gifted class of like the different field trips and different, you know, types of learning that you get to do. And he like uh, advocated for like a more integrative, like why don't we include some of these gifted things just in our regular classes, you know? Right. So yeah, I definitely, you start to, I think, when you're a baby, you're born pure and, you know, you start to get any, that's when you truly like are wild and free and like probably your true selves when you're a baby. And then like, whenever you get older, you start to get stifled and people put on masks for you and they tell you like, 
I was never, I really felt out of place in my family because I was a weird, wild one. And I didn't fit into the typical girly shit. I didn't wear a dress until like myself until I was 18. And I hated makeup. My mom, if, if I wore sandals, I had to have nail polish on. I wanted to be dirty. I didn't want to wear underwear. I wanted to play with the boys. Like, and then all of that kind of gets like you feel like I always felt like I wasn't enough for my mom. I wasn't the expectations that she had in a daughter. And I related more with my dad because he put me in soccer and judo and taught me to box. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, my dad tapped into my weirdness and like told me I could do anything I wanted to fucking do. And yeah, I think all of that, as you get older, you start to, you have to peel your mask off and there's a lot of grief in that. Right. Right. You you learn that your parents aren't superheroes and they they fuck you up and you got to heal from that. And the grief of like, I always feel grief of like, can people like people aren't safe to experience who they truly are. You know, we have these ants, these uh, don't say gay laws and um not learning like critical race theory in school and not learning about LGBTQIA plus in school. And like people don't have like a sense of who they are. And as you get older, yeah, you got to learn that. And you're, you learn people lie to you and there's lies in life and you have to have a depth of yourself to like keep evolving and keep growing and healing fucking hurts. Healing isn't like, jumping in a field of flowers and meadows and all the birds are singing and there's gay rainbows everywhere. (laughs) It's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. It's a hot mess. You are fucking messy. Learning and unlearning and healing is fucking messy. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk about inhibited grief. Mm-hmm. And which occurs when we show no outward signs of grief for an extended period of time. And mm-hmm. these can lead to, well, this can lead to physical manifestations and, you know, some somatic complaints. So right. what is your experience with inhibited grief? So I would say that... So I was raised as a child parent and um, I didn't really get to, God, I didn't like really get to be who I was because I was always taking care of other people. I started being a caregiver for my grandma when I was eight and I had to advocate for her. And then my brother had epilepsy. So I was his caretaker and I was his buddy everywhere we went. And I started showing signs of chronic pain and illness probably around eight years old. And I didn't get diagnosed until I was 12. And then, then, you know, they're telling me that it's because I'm fat and I wasn't really fat. I was just a chunky kid, you know? Right. And they're telling me because I was anxious and I was depressed and I was going through trauma and, Um, you know, they were telling me that I was faking it to get attention. And I think I had a really hard time expressing myself because my parents or even my dad, they just instilled in me to keep going. You don't have time to cry about it or feel it. You just have to keep moving, have to keep pushing on. You know, we didn't talk about shit. My parents always put me in the middle of their shit. And I think I just kind of learned to like keep it to myself. And, um, when I was, it deep in alcoholism and deep in addiction. No, no one fucking knew. I was a pro at hiding things and shoving everything deep down to my toes. I didn't talk about the medical gaslighting and the medical trauma. I didn't, I didn't talk about, you know, constantly being suicidal and not wanting to be alive. And I always was just little bit sunshine, little, like everybody told me, Elena, you're so strong. And I started to resent that word because people didn't know how much of a hot mess I was. Like my life was in shambles. Like I didn't really, I moved across seas to New Zealand and Australia. My dad died when I was, uh, he was an alcoholic. He died in a very gruesome way. And 
I immediately felt that grief, but I very much inhibited it. It was to the point I was hiding and so isolated to the point that my friend Mona, she was the, another nanny. Uh, she, I live like out in the country. Like you had to drive miles down a dirt road to get to me. And she drove just one day and I was like watching Lord of the Rings for the 10th time and drinking super fucking expensive wine I couldn't afford. And uh, she wanted me to talk about it. And I was like, no, I'm fine. And she's like, Elena, you're obviously not fine. I think we need to keep the people in our lives around who tell us, uh, Elena, you're you're on some bullshit right now. You're not okay. Like I had another friend tell me um, around the time I was hospitalized with kidney infections and a gallbladder issue and appendicitis, I went drinking and drugging like right after that. I was not taking care of myself because I hadn't accepted I was disabled. I was chronically ill. I hadn't accepted that I don't have unlimited energy. I wasn't accepting that I was burning myself out constantly to the point of hospitalization because one, the masking came before everything. I never gave myself a chance to feel and express things. So now I'm hiding it. Now I'm isolated. Now no one understands me. And I'm in the worst fucking place in my life. And then I choose to like go overseas where I'm not like I was messy. Like that's messy. That's really messy to just sell all your belongings and go get a job on a dairy farm that you found on the internet thinking that you're going to have some um, eat, pray, love moment. And I went to find myself and I found out that I was an alcoholic and I was an addict, but I also had chronic pain. I also had mental illnesses. I was also disabled. So that was probably like, I was in the most beautiful place in the world, Finn, and I was miserable and nobody could understand that. And it was like the most lonely experience in my life because I was just like posting all these pictures of being fun in Australia and no one knew what the fuck I was going through. Like I was in the worst place in my life, but I was just carrying on. And, you know, I, when, when, the definition says physical manifestations. I think immediately I get defensive, right? Because mm-hmm. they, I don't like <laughs> when doctors just like blame it on the mental causes, the physical, like I know the body mind is connected and I know the body keeps the score. And I know they say that we hide our grief and pain in our hips, but I also have hip pain because I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, right? <laughs> right. It's not just, it's, the, it's not just mental. Yeah, so I don't really know, like, the physical manifestations. I could tell you that I was really tense. I was very guarded. Nobody knew who I was. I didn't allow anybody to get to know who I was because then I would have to get to know myself. I didn't want to fucking know myself. I thought I was broken, disgusting. You know, I was going through a lot of trauma, a lot of trauma. And, you know, people think I'm very confident, but I'm really not. I just say fuck it and I embrace the mess now and I sit in the uncomfortable and I'm super proud that I'm at a point where I can do that where it doesn't feel like my skin is like shriveling off and everyone's looking at me like I I, for a long time I felt like very exposed and everyone was just picking out my wounds and picking out your own wounds hurts like healing hurts and people don't tell you that like people like I think that the light at the end of of the tunnel happens in small doses and you have to be awake and aware to see it. And you don't always see it. You don't always see the light around you. And I, I think now, like I just express my feelings and I talk about the super uncomfortable, the taboo. Um, And, you know, I've always said, if just like one person feels less alone, it's worth it. And whenever people tell me that I've changed their lives, just talk, just simply talking about my story, it really like, like it sounds selfish, but like, it also helps me too. like it, the more I talk about it, the more I get to know myself and the more I know that like, I'm always going to be a constant work in progress and that enlightenment that like being able to just stay okay in the worst moments and like not get attached to things and like to be able to sit 
in your body can be really hard for disabled people. You know, have you ever done yoga? Um, yes. I've I know that's, I, that's also <laughs> like a very defensive topic. Right. But, you know, so this is when I started to have beef with yoga. You know, like when they tell you to like feel the tension in your body. Yeah. And I'm like, my whole body is tense, Karen. Like, <laughs> I don't want to feel it. That's right. my thing is I don't want to feel shit. I want to get numb. Right. Feeling my whole body and feeling everything is too overwhelming for me. I think it's necessary. Um, it's a lot easier to shove it down at your tippy toes, but, you know, it's going to come out. And you can't just move to another country and think it's all going to be okay. You have to, like, constantly work on yourself and the more that you work on yourself, like the more you see others and, you know, so that gets to like the collective part. But I do want to hear about your inhibited grief and like um, what, how you feel the physical manifestation thing. Like, right. Now, the physical manifestation thing, I'm not a fan because yeah. all the doctors are like, well, you know, we'll send you to therapy for your chronic pain. I'm like, no, I have osteoarthritis and fibromyalgia, sir. Uh, <laughs> I don't think therapy's gonna help with that. I right, you need days. medication. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's like I still have days where it's like it's hard to get out of bed, you know. And with my inhibited grief, I, oof, boy, internalized that ableism so far deep. It's like mm -hmm. so, so far inside of me. It's mm -hmm. like it took me, it's still taking me time to search and to pick a, pick out the pieces. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. It's it, because I used to be like, I'm fine. Yeah, my, you know, yeah, I have chronic pain, but I can still work. You know, I can go work this warehouse job or work standing on my feet for you know, 10 to 12 hours. I just need the breaks. That's all, you know, <laughs> yeah. for that 30 minute to one hour lunch break, I'll be fine. I'll just rest, yeah. you know, right. go to the gym, all of that stuff, you know, you'll, you'll sleep when you're dead. Exactly. You know? And I, I used to say that. I, yeah. I used to say that like, yeah, I'll sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'm fine. I'm fine. And that's my favorite phrase. I'm fine. <laughs> no, <I'm good. laughs> and now because it's like when people say oh how are you i'm fine when it's i really that meme. it's the meme with the mm -hmm. dog smiling surrounded yeah. by fire like mm -hmm. yeah i'm good this is, this is fine it like really what do you fine. need what do you need i'm fine like, right can we i think i don't take a lot from aa but what i did take is from that is like sometimes you avoid fixing yourself by fixing others and that really gets you into like the codependency mm -hmm. field which when I say that word I also cringe I didn't want to accept that I was codependent but I really was and then I didn't want to accept that I needed people and I needed help like I just started asking for help people think I'm so good at it I am not right. like in the and you know asking for raising funds like you go through a lot of this like i'm not worth it you know i think whenever the internalized ableism a lot of it boils down to like we just don't feel worthy of things right we don't feel worthy of help you know it's like we don't deserve help it's like if we can do it this one day then that means that we can do it all the days when really mm -hmm. you just had an okay like you say you know you have okay days yeah you know, because um, we really do internalize that ableism. It sticks with us. Yeah. It sticks with us. And it's like, it does take a lot of time, like I said, to pick out those pieces. It's like shards of glass. Oh. Yeah. That you're yeah. constantly having to uh, grab at. And yeah, you're going to get, you're going to get cut. You're going to get bloody. Yeah. Trying to pick it out because it's like, dis it's dismantling that whole system of ableism you know yeah yeah and you see it everywhere and it it becomes overwhelming like whenever I'm doing outreach on the streets I get really overwhelmed because there's just so many needs and I feel like we're not doing enough but we really are and I think whenever I'm out there like 
all people want really is a friend and they want to be asked how they're doing and they actually will tell you how they're doing right and they'll talk about what's going on and i think we need to get in the habit as a society about talking about things but we're such an individualistic society that we're taught that we don't have to do that right but i i think people will find out that they have more in common with others than they think and the disability community like connects you with people that you probably ordinarily wouldn't be friends with. And I think a lot of the times like you connect with people on the level of like your conditions, but you may not actually be friends. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. 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 But it's that it gets into that collectiveness where like, we're actually all in the same boat together and we can help each other row this boat. Like we don't have to be in our own little canoe rowing it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess you can, if you want to, but you're going to be lonely and you're going to be isolated. Right. And then that goes in that trend that, um, (laughs) transitions us into collective grief. Can I ask you a question though before we move on to that? Yes, of course. Um, if you feel comfortable talking about it, how like culturally um, in the black community, like it's my knowledge that y'all don't talk about what, what you're going through. This is true. Um, so, and that even play that goes into the inhibited and also the masked grief. Mm-hmm. Because we're told to keep everything, and you and I had talked on the phone about this the other yeah. day, um, is that we're told to keep things in the family. You don't talk about what's bothering you. You, yeah. you pray it away. You ask God to help you sort of thing. But it's like, no, mental health is a real thing. We need mm-hmm. to talk about what is hurting us in order for us to heal from that. We mm-hmm. have to communicate mm-hmm. what is hurting us because it is it's just gonna be pins and needles all over yeah you know? yeah and I think a lot of families don't they feel uncomfortable about like if a family member is t- like like my I'll I'll get uh intimate my mom thinks that I talk about sickness too much and it keeps me sick right. that I need to focus on my other identities that I don't need to focus on being disabled because it it keeps me locked in but it's actually the opposite you know right and I feel like talking about it it gives you a certain freedom you know because it can feel like it, it, it will hold you back right from what you truly deserve in life and it really, it, like, it gives you a sense of freedom, a sense of self. You yeah. feel like you know who you are and where you're headed, you know, in a general sense. Like, yeah. I'm headed toward greatness. I'm headed toward, you know, dot, dot, dot. You right. Know? You got to keep your eye on some sort of prize. Right. Because then it's like, it feels like this is all for nothing. It's like, right. then, you can, yeah. then why heal? Right. Uh, I used to very, like, I'm still very much existential, but I'm having, like, less crises. But I think, like, I can get in the attitude of, like, what is the point? Right. What's the fucking point? Like, are we, like, are we even going to get to the change we want to see in our lifetime? But I think that goes into the collective grief. It's it's almost like generations do the work for the next generations. And I think our generation is doing such a good job at breaking the cycle right? and breaking the taboos and talking about shit, talking about how racism affects you, talking about how ableism affects you, how fat phobia, transphobia. Um, that way, the next person, the, the younger person, they're like, oh, shit, they're talking about it. Right. Like, I think also the black community probably talks about mental health way more now than they did in the past. Yes, we we really do. And I am so glad to see that and to see more people in the in the black community, you know, my community. Yeah. I'm glad to see them 
being more outward with issues that they have, you know, whether it be anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, you know, things like that. Like, I'm happy to see that representation because I feel, you know, for so long, I felt like sort of like an outcast because I'm like, well, I've got all these issues. I've got, you know, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, you know, bipolar disorder too. Um, as in, mm-hmm. as in bipolar disorder type two, um, and so many oh. other different things, and it was like it's not talked about. It's like, oh, you know, I'm eccentric, and it's like, yeah. no, <laughs> something's wrong with me. <laughs> or it's like when I say I'm crazy, they're like, no, don't say that. No, I'm legit crazy. It's yeah. in my file. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. there. Let's talk about it. Let's not keep that hidden. I can't pray away my depression. I can't say, Mm -hmm. God, take away my depression. And then boom, I'm cured. That's not Mm -hmm. how things work. No. And I grieving that. um, That it's not that easy. Exactly. It's not. It really isn't that easy. And I like I am having to grieve how I used to how I used to be um mentally like I used to be better a little bit better than this yeah but I'm also recognizing the progress that I have made while also grieving you know yes like you can do both there's a duality to it you know everything oh my gosh you know the spectrum you know paradoxes are my favorite yes (laughs) there's always uh (laughs) There's always two sides to a coin, mm-hmm. and I think two things can be true. We can both be grieving and accepting, learning and unlearning. Right. And, yep. you know, I'm also journaling a lot more. So I'm not just like talking about, I'm not just like talking about my stuff to people. I'm also talking to myself more. Right. And, you know, when I, when I think about your community, I also noticed that there's more celebrities coming out about mental health. Like you have Megan the Stallion talking about it. You have um, Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. You know, you just have, right. there's just different people. You got the Red Table Biles. Yeah. You yeah. got the Red Table Talk, you know. <laughs> people right. are, are talking. And I think that opens up the conversation like collectively. Right. Like, it gives more people the courage to openly talk about it when one person kind of opens that door for the other person. And I, I think we can realize that we have collective trauma. We have collective grief, collective burnout. And then when you realize that we're all experiencing these things at the same time, we can kind of like work together to like, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think even in a perfect world, if we lived in a utopia, there would still be grief. Right. We would still be disabled. We would still have to be inside sometimes when outside the world is perfect, you know? Right. So I think no matter what, it's always going to be there. So why just fucking talk about it? Right. Like, and it's going to come for you, whether you want to talk about it or not. You can right. keep digging your hole. Like, I thought that every hole I've reached is it. But no, you can go deeper into the pit and drown in your messiness (laughs) right because it's like there are so many rock bottoms it may not be yes as deep as the last rock bottom but it's still a rock bottom and it's gonna get you somewhere new right you Mm -hmm. know so it's like i just gonna see like a keep digging yeah keep digging keep digging i heard on another podcast i want to say kate hudson said it but i don't really remember but they were talking about their dad dying and they were saying that in grief rebel and destruction and you have to dig through it to find the to get like to get to the rocks and like how they say like a diamond is a diamond because it's like pressurized and i think like you said we have to keep digging and digging is messy right and yeah. also, I have, an, I have a small issue with the whole diamond pressurized thing because it's like... Ooh, tell me. So, I... I it's, it's Yeah, that's how diamonds are made, right? That's how right. jewels and stuff are made. It's pressurized to a right. point where it changes. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes I don't want to feel that pressure. Mm. Maybe sometimes I just want to be solid. Yeah. I just want to be the rock, the piece of coal. Maybe I want to be with that and sit with that for a minute before this unknown force comes through and pressurizes me to a point of no return. Because sometimes diamonds crack. Mm. Yeah, no, that makes me think of like, you know, when they say uh, you got to go through suffering to like Mm -hmm. heal or like, what do they say? Like, you got to go through suffering to to know, to to have knowledge or to be wise. And there's this quote that if uh, suffering brings wisdom, well, I don't I don't want to be wise. Like, do we have to suffer? Do we have to go through all this shit to have knowledge to be a good person, to, like, know ourselves. Like, yeah, there's always going to be grief suffering. But I think a lot of people suffer unnecessarily under oppression, under white supremacy, under colonization. You know, there's just, like, so many things that happens to the collective all the time. And I, it's not necessary. Like, yeah, I, I, you're right. Like, does... A diamond is a diamond. Like, doesn't need to be pre- like. There's when you crack right. open geode, right. you know there's stuff inside of it. But do you need to crack it open to see what's inside of it? Right. Or like how they say, a diamond in the rough. Can I be rough? <laughs> Can I choose to be in the roughness before someone finds me palatable? Mm. You know. Snaps. Snap, snap, snap. <laughs> and I just looked <laughs> up the definition of suffer, and it means the number one definition is experience or be subjected to. And that oh. was su- subjected to. You're being subjected to it. And it's like, do I really have, am I really, do I really deserve to be subjected to? And do we have to subject to it? Right. Because also number, the second definition, which it says is archaic, to tolerate. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do I really have to tolerate all of this just to have some huge enlightenment, some epiphany, you know, right. a eureka moment? Do I really have to go through all of what I've been through? Yeah. You know? No. Yeah, no, that's very true. Like, I think... I've learned a lot from all I've been through and it definitely has shaped me. But I think I want to just think about the little girl that who she was before all the chaos and the trauma and the unnecessary grief that I was subjected to, like that I'm will forever be healing from. I remember that little girl and she's just who she is today. And she's still in there. They're still in there. Um, That tomboy. I hate that word, but that's what I was called. You know, that that weird character that was always too much for everybody. Like, I want to be too much. I want to be messy. Like, I don't want to be perfect. But, like, at the same time, I think, like you said, we are subjected to, like, unnecessary shit that we're left cleaning up. That we really don't have the energy to clean up. And I, I don't think, like, that's what makes us who we are. I think when we're born, we know who we are. Like that's, and and we're trying to get back to that. Right, back to the root. Yeah. Back to the roots. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Mm -hmm. Good topic. I like you, the way that you picked these out. I don't know if you intended for them to like segue into each other the way that they do. (laughs) No, I'm just just going offhand here. Yeah, well, it worked, baby. It worked because mm-hmm. this like goes into like uh, the community, and I think right now the disabled community, immunocompromised, high risk uh, of people, our allies. Like we are in this moment of oh, collective grief, unnecessary suffering. Right, we're being disposed of. There's- Subjected to. Subjected to eugenics, um, subjected to oppression. People are literally being kept inside their homes, right? They're disappearing and we're losing people. I mean, 
about 2,000 people are dying every week. Right. Uh, there's a 9-11 every week. There's destruction every week that has, you know, ripple effects. And I also think that just the nature of being chronically ill, I think we also lose a lot of friends. And there's like that feeling in the background of like, I could lose this person at any moment in time. Right. Right. That's what I got from when uh, you introduced that, the collective grief. Mm-hmm. And this is why that's the one, one of the ones when I read the definition for it, I was like, that definitely needs to be talked about because I know our community, the disability community are going through that right now. And, and being in other marginalized communities, mm-hmm. go through that, whether it be the queer community, because there are so still so many deaths and attacks on you know, queer people, especially trans women yeah. of color, black trans women. Mm-hmm. And in the black community, because, you know, it's like we're still being shot down, killed, and just so much by off- by police officers. We're mm-hmm. grieving our community, like our communities all together. We're all grieving. And I right. think we just need to open up that conversation, talk with each other. Because I guarantee you, somebody out there knows what you're going through. Mm. We are all grieving. Yeah. Every single community right now, indigenous folks, indigenous mm-hmm. women going missing, their land, you know, was taken from them and they're displaced and they're getting further away from their, from their culture, from their roots. Uh, you look at what's going in Iran and how that's affecting, you know, women around the world and people that were worry jobs around the world. So I think, oh my God, there's just everyone's suffering right now. But fuck like and fuck a lot of white women. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying. There's communities that have privilege right now. Rich people have an insane amount of privilege. There's just like certain communities that I'm like, uh, you need to have your eyes open at the communities that are being affected and that are grieving right now. I think able-bodied people like I, I, there's just, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of like collective anger and a lot of rage as uh, Mary from Upgrade Accessibility, like, I don't know if you've ever like gone through grief and suffering and you look at people who aren't, I mean, I'm sure you do. Why am I even asking you that? (laughs) You're like, why aren't you fucking suffering right now? Like, I want you to feel what we are feeling. Right. The oppressors, like you, you want them, you want it to like go back onto them. I don't, I'm high. So I got on that riff. I'm sorry. But if you want to bring it back in. (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. (laughs) Cloak probably, um, so this was a great, great episode. You yes. were fantastic. Um, we worked well together. Yes, very. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to say thank you for being on here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yes, uh, like this course. is, I'm gonna be thinking about this um, a lot now, and I'm sure we're gonna be talking about it more. Yes, most likely when I'm done recording. <laughs> uh, we could probably get on the phone <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but I also want to just for a moment while we're on we while we were on that collectiveness just like mm-hmm. give a moment to all the people that have passed away all the people that are grieving right now okay. um, the families that are being affected by COVID um the people that have died in your community and how your community is being affected. Uh, what's happening in Iran. I just really want to like give space for the, for all the people that lis- are listening to this and like, are like, fuck, I'm grieving too. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there will be a question. There's a question posted um, that will be posted once this uploads about what grief did you relate to today? Oh, Cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I like this. Keep it going. Keep up the good work. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Um, I like really like we were talking about doing a podcast, and 
I've been like have so much going on and you I really like love that you just like no fuck I'm gonna take I'm gonna <laughs> take the bull by the goddamn horns and I'm gonna make my own podcast and I'm gonna I'm gonna get this going so I'm really proud of you thank you thank you for, yeah. thank you for being on here thank you for being my guest of course uh, I hope you have me on again this was fun <laughs> thank you <laughs> Uh, that you. was EJ, everybody. You can find them. Your handle is pained and confused on Instagram, right? Yeah. Like, like dazed and confused, but pained. And right. Confused. And I mean, might as well be dazed too, because brain fog. <laughs> but yeah. thank you so much for being on here. We will have you again. I don't know why I say we, but it's me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. And with that, I want to read a poem that I wrote called Grief With Me Always. Grief is a bittersweet memory, one I've grown accustomed to. It tastes of sulfur and I suffer through to hold it down. Why grief are you difficult to look at? How do I summon my eyes not to see and my heart not to feel? Grief, you hurt. But without you, how will I move? I need you like water, like darkness, like light. Please don't desert me. For it is you whom I carry on. Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode three, Grief. I hope you enjoyed this episode and my special guest. And with that, I bid you adieu. All love.